On today's show, we are joined by professor, scientist, and climate policy expert Bob Howarth from Cornell's College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. Bob and I discuss the climate impacts of fossil fuel use in the home, like our gas stoves, our heat, our furnaces, and we look at measures we can take as individuals, community members, and citizens to lessen those impacts. We also review recent climate legislation in New York State, which Bob played a key advisory role in shaping. So check out the episode notes for links and resources to learn more about this vital topic. Here's my interview with Cornell's Bob Howarth. Let's talk greenhouse gas emissions, which are the principal causes of global warming, climate disruption. What gases specifically are we talking about? The two major gases we're talking about are carbon dioxide, first and foremost, but yeah. also methane. And those two together are driving at 85% of climate change. I should mention that we're going to be talking about this the global issue in the context of recent legislation that was passed here in New York. The issues that we're discussing here are universally applicable, and perhaps some can take some inspiration from what's being done in our state. We talked about this being the ideal. Perhaps we have an opportunity to, you know, set the die for yeah, this kind of I, thing. I think New York is setting a great example for other states and other countries as to what we can do. Okay, so let's talk about this legislation that was passed in 2019. You played an advisory role in getting that passed. What are we talking about here? It's, it's the New York climate law, the CLCPA, Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, was passed in the summer of 2019. It's based on legislation that had been passed for several years before that, actually going back to 2015 in the state assembly. It's a very progressive law. It calls for things like reducing our greenhouse gas emissions across all economic sectors in New York State by 40% by 2030, by 85% by 2050 calls for uh, having 70% of our electricity being renewables by 2030, many other targets like that. It also calls for making sure that the historically disadvantaged are brought up to a speed and benefited from the policies of the law as well. So what we're kind of focusing on today is eradicating fossil fuel use in the home. Can we talk about how that occurs? How do we generate fossil fuels just by simply living in our homes that are fueled by gas and electric? And yeah, if we look at New York, the number one economic sector for greenhouse gas emissions, it is the energy that's used in our homes and our commercial buildings. It's 35 to 40 percent of the total greenhouse gas emissions across the entire state. It's followed by transportation, fairly distant second, about 28 percent. So if we want to meet the targets of this New York climate law, we need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in our homes and in our commercial buildings. And that, that means moving away from fossil fuels. You know, currently we have six million single-family homes that are heated uh, with fossil fuels in this state, mostly natural gas, but propane and fuel oil as well. We have a huge number of apartment buildings that are heated with fossil fuels as well. We need to move those so they're heated with electricity instead and what we call beneficial electricity. So using high efficiency heat pumps to replace the heat that we're now generating in the building from, from fossil fuels. So let's talk about some of the uh, appliances, right? So what are some of the key focal points? Where are the biggest infractions taking place well, well, in the home? The, the first thing is heating our space, our space heating. And so, sure. you know, instead of having a gas furnace or a propane or an oil furnace, we want to have a, a heat pump. And, and what you ask is a heat pump. You know, a heat pump is a device that is extracting energy from the environment, it's either extracting it from air, all of the air source heat pump, or it's extracting it from groundwater. We call those ground source heat pumps. And so they run with electricity, but for every unit of electricity you're putting in, you're actually getting more energy out as heat. You're getting two, three, up to five times more heat energy in than you're putting in. And so they're hugely efficient. When we convert from using fossil fuels in the home to using these, our energy use statewide is actually going down hugely. Electricity use is going up, but energy use is going down, and greenhouse gas emissions go down immediately. 
turns out that if, you know, say you're currently heating your home with natural gas and you instead put in one of these high efficiency heat pumps, even if the electricity for that came 100% from natural gas, your emissions would go down by this conversion because of the heat extraction and the huge efficiencies from that. And of course, we're also moving away from fossil fuels for electricity. So this is what we need to do to move to carbon neutrality. You discussed in our pregame huddle that you replaced your heat pump. Yeah. In your home before, 15 years ago or something like that? We started, the, the, the next biggest use is the domestic hot water. Oh, yes, you know, let's go your, back to your, that. Your yeah. clothes washing and your, you know, dishwashing, et cetera. Yeah. And that's roughly about 25 to 30% of uh, people's energy use in a home on average in New York State. So that's what we started with. You know, we own a, a 1870s farmhouse. We used to heat the house, both the spates and the hot water with oil. Going back, yeah, 15 years ago, we mm -hmm. stopped using the oil for the water heating, and we put in a high-efficiency heat pump just for that. That's a pretty low-cost investment. Uh, $2,000 installed, we'll, we'll get you one of those, and, and the payback that, periods is really fast. You said like two years or something. Yeah, those yeah, it, it, exactly. And designed to last for 15-plus years. Yeah, yeah. The ours, ours, well, we replaced ours a couple of years ago, so after 12 years. We're still working, but I thought, you know, I'm not going to replace it while it's still, uh, still working well. The other thing we did in our house, you know, the other two-thirds of average energy use in a home is the space heating. It's the biggest use. And we continued to use oil for that until 2014. At that point, we pulled the oil completely out of the heat, and we replaced our ground source heat pump. The payback period on that was longer, but it's paid back by now. It took about six or seven years. Lower energy costs, lower maintenance costs, it paid itself back. So in our case, you know, it's a, it's a substantial upfront capital cost. I don't want to get that wrong. But the savings are immediate and beneficial. Now, it turns out that for New York, we have a, a plan on part of the Climate Action Council that developed the implementation plan for this climate law. And we looked at great detail as to how to make the conversions in existing homes, what to do with new homes. Turns out for new home constructions, it's actually cheaper to build a home based on these heat pumps than it is to build one for fossil fuels. How? It, it, it's just less expensive from, from day one to, okay. to put a heat pump in as opposed to a furnace, particularly if you're also going to have air conditioning in the end. The heat pumps do both. And most homes now have air conditioning. And so it's actually less expensive to just give up on the fossil fuels. But if you have an existing home, the, the costs are real. Those upfront costs are real. The payback periods are reasonable. The trick is to provide low-cost or zero-cost loans to get people in, into that upfront cost and pay back then. So that, that's what our plan calls for. There's a political hot-button issue component to this, which is the gas stove, right? So you, yeah. made, you made recommendations that we should eradicate gas stoves from the home. Yeah, the, no, it's more than recommendations. It's actually part of the plan, and it's binding. Yep. Uh, after, after 2030, if you want to, for new construction, actually, in New York now, by law, after 2026, you will not be able to use fossil fuels in your home for heating, cooking of any sort. It'll have to be electrification, beneficial electrification. For existing homes, you can continue to do what you like, but after 2030, under the blueprint that we put in place for the climate law, if your gas stove were to die you would not be allowed to replace it. You'd have to do something else. But you want to do something else. The, the, the stoves are an interesting case. They're not huge energy consumers. So mm -hmm. you look at where, say, the gas is being used in a home. It's mostly the space heating. Secondarily, it's the water. Yeah. It might be a gas clothes dryer. The gas cook stove is a pretty small part of that. There are a bunch of reasons you want to get gas out of stove for cooking anyway, but let's put that aside for a moment. The, the discussion we had in our Climate Action Council in developing implementation plan here was once you get gas out of the home for heating, you cannot 
in a cost-effective way and in a safety way, continue to run a gas distribution pipeline system. It's just way too expensive. You're not consuming enough product to sell it. And so you really need to degasify the whole system as a matter of economics and safety. You know, 30 years out, when no one's using gas to heat your homes, it would be insane to have gas lines just for that small amount for the stove. So that was the real oh, logic. I understand, yeah. But on top of that, you know, gas stoves really are bad for one's health. People don't understand that. They, they burn, they admit, within the home, even if you have your exhaust fan running all the time, which most people don't. They're yeah. not terribly effective all of the time. They produce a variety of, of toxic air pollutants in the home. And the latest evidence is close to 20% of children who have asthma in the state of New York have it in part because of gas stoves in their homes. 20%. What does that actually do to the pulmonary system? It makes it hard to breathe. It makes it hard to participate in sports. It makes it hard to go outside. It makes it hard to go to school. You're sure. in the hospital unnecessarily. You're losing school days as an adult. You're using work days. The health costs of fossil fuels are really high. And part of it's the indoor health costs. Part of it's the outdoor air pollution from other ways we use fossil fuels. But part of the plan that we developed for the Climate Action Council showed that the, you know, the costs of converting our state away from fossil fuels are real. It's real money, billions of dollars over 30 years. But the cost savings are greater and they're substantially greater. And a large part of those are the health cost savings. People will be healthier. They will be in the hospital less. They'll be happier. They'll miss less school. They'll miss uh, miss less work. So there'll be presumably, and you had alluded to this earlier, incentivization in order to bring this about. What is that going to look like in New York? For new construction, it, it's very little is needed because I say the costs are actually less to build without. So that this will simply be a matter of the code and people will get used to it and accept it. It'll seem normal. For retrofitting homes, you know, we need to provide incentives for those upfront costs for people replacing their gas stove. And How much money are we talking so. about? What do you think it might be? If, if we look at heating, which is where we did the, the most analysis behind the Climate Action Council, yeah. it, it depends on the home. But the average home conversion would be, in terms of gross costs, it's about $25,000 per home. Some homes are more. My home conversion was more than that. So some will be less if you have a smaller home. But 25000 on average, that's the upfront costs. Again, the energy use immediately goes down. Your maintenance costs go down. So you start making it back right away. But if you don't have 25000 then we need to provide 25000 For those who are reasonably well-off economically, I think we need to provide low-cost loans, zero-interest loans. That'll take care of it. There's some people who that's still going to be a hardship for, and, and there will be a matter of grants. And the nice thing is that the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, Congress passed, federal government back in 2022, uh, will provide substantial incentives for heat pumps in homes. And New York is actually in a great position to take advantage of that law because we have our own law and we've set up this implementation plan. So, you know, the federal government's still working out the details on that and we'll see exactly how it plays out. But the draft language I've seen is that if your family income is, say, at the median level for your community, you'll probably get the heat pump for free. And if you're at 1.2 times the median income for your community, you might have to pay half of the heat pump cost up front. But again, that's a low interest loan and you pay it back. So this could be a really big economic boon for people. And another way to look at it, I mean, it's good for the climate. That's what the law is about. It's also good for public health, but it's good for the energy security, the economic planning of individual homeowners and individual communities. You know, over the last two years, the price of natural gas more than doubled, you mm -hmm. know, last winter. 
that's a huge whammy if you're heating your home with natural gas and you didn't. So e- many New Yorkers You did. didn't expect it, right? Right, yeah. And, you know, those sort of price volatilities in fossil fuels are only going to get worse as we move into the future. Once you have your own heat pump, the electric prices, they, they've bounced around some too, more than I would have liked to have seen, partly because of the natural gas price. But in a, you know, the, the eventual world we have of 100% fossil fuel free energy for electricity, the price stability becomes very predictable. The energy security is a lot higher. Hey, I have a question from viewer Nick who asks, what is your response to the fact that air source heat pumps lose most of their efficiency in cold climates like we see in most of New York State? It's pretty chilly here. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And then there are two answers to it. One, three, actually. But one, we, we spent an incredible amount of effort developing this implementation plan for the Climate Action Council. And let me just start by saying I was one of 22 members on this council. We're not some radical group. Twelve of the members are established by nature of the law. The rest of us were appointed by the governor or by the assembly or, or senate, right? What are, what are the titles of some of the other people that are on the well, council? The, the commissioner of environmental conservation, the commissioner of labor, the commissioner of transportation, the president of the Long Island Power Authority, the president of the New York Power Authority, the president of the Energy Research and Development Authority. So those are 12 of the people. Yeah. And then there are 10 of us who are appointed. Of the 22 of us all together, 19 of us voted for this plan, including all 12 of the people who were the commissioners, etc. Of the three people who voted against it, two of them were appointed by Republican interests, and they both represent and work for the fossil fuel industry, quite frankly. So this is not some hot-headed radical thing. This is, you know, coming out of establishment of the state. We spent three years working on it. We came up with draft plans. We took a huge amount of public input from panels and from consultants. We put it out for public review. We had hearings. We had 11 public hearings, comments from over a 1,000 people. We took written comments. There were written comments for over 30,000 people. We went through all of those, and we paid attention to it. So that, that's an aside, but let's yeah. go back to the heat pump. That heat pump question reminded me that I've heard this question before among yeah. the 30,000 comments we've seen. So if you go to the old-fashioned heat pumps that you might have, your your father might have put in his house 30 years ago, they are terribly inefficient when the temperature gets below freezing. Modern air source heat pumps are quite efficient at temperatures down to about zero degrees Fahrenheit, or so they're not as efficient as zero as they are at the freezing point, but they're still somewhat efficient. Below that, their efficiency drops really quickly, uh, and so you're forced to use uh, just straight resistance electric heating for that time. But you still heat your home. You're just using somewhat more energy than you would if it weren't quite so cold. That's not ideal. You're still using a lot less energy than if you're using fossil fuels. And our, so and by our basement way. temps are 55 degrees, right? Yeah. yeah. But that's for the air source heat pump. Yeah, now, yeah, now yeah. The, for my home, I use a ground source heat pump. The thing about the ground source heat pump is the efficiency is the same year-round, no matter what the outside air temperature is, because it's based on the groundwater temperature, which is about 50 to 55 degrees year-round. So they're more efficient all the time than an air source heat pump, and mm. particularly when they're cold. And one of the things we discussed at some length on the Climate Action Council is from, you know, from a homeowner's standpoint, if you're looking just at those upfront costs, the air source heat pumps are less than the ground source heat pumps. So I'm going to go that way. From day one, once you install it, your energy costs are higher for the air source heat pumps, your maintenance costs are higher. So maybe you would have wanted to go for the ground source heat pump, which is what I did. But from the statewide standpoint, if we can encourage more and more people to use the ground source heat pumps, it means a lot less electric consumption on those peak cold days. If everyone goes for air source heat pumps are, you know, currently with the New York grid peaks on the hot summer days, winter's easy to meet. 
if we reverse and everyone use air source heat pumps, then those cold January days are going to be our peak days, and we need to build capacity to provide electricity for those days, which which is a challenge. If we go with ground source heat pumps, it gets rid of that challenge. It's much, much easier to produce the electricity we need. And so from the standpoint of the society that stays a whole, it's actually cheaper, even if on an individual home basis, there might be a little bit more cost. So we need to right. build that into the, you know, the structure of system of who pays for what. I have a question related to this from Albert, who asks, how can we possibly eliminate fossil fuels in our homes when we're using electricity, which is often made from fossil fuels like coal and gas powered generators? What are your thoughts about nuclear energy, fusion energy as bridges to replace fossil fuels? This is constant. Yeah, there, there are a couple of questions in there. And again, these are things that we've debated hugely in the council and I've actually worked on as an academic as well for quite some time. To begin with, in, in New York, we have two grids in New York, essentially. We have an upstate grid, which encompasses all the state except for New York City, Westchester County and Long Island. Our upstate grid right now is 90% fossil fuel free. People don't know that. It's, it's about 40% nuclear and the rest is hydro with a little bit of other renewable, but it's not fossil fuel. So we actually, the upstate New York grid is, is about the cleanest grid in the entire country right now. So that's a good starting point. Downstate, uh, it's about two-thirds uh, natural gas. It's a much higher emitter. And of course, we're one state. We need to work that. So we need to move particularly downstate to renewable energy or fossil fuel energy. And as we go to beneficial electrification of heating and also transportation, we haven't talked about electric cars, electric trucks, our overall energy use will go down, but our electricity use will go up, and we need to plan for that. The state is planning for that. The Climate Action Council's planned for that. We can do that. And we debated on the council extensively the relative roles of wind, solar, hydro versus nuclear. And what we decided in the end, and I support this, 19 of us do, is to not prematurely phase out the nuclear plants we have currently operating. Let them. How run. many are there in New York? Five, I believe. Okay, yeah. Yep. Let them run through their current licensing periods, not work to replace them, and mm -hmm. not build new ones either to, to augment, because the electricity we can generate from hydro, solar, and wind is cheaper, far cheaper to deploy, faster to deploy, and we can do it more cost-effectively. Mm -hmm. then by building more nuclear. But we won't prematurely retire the nuclear plants we have. I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to be conscious of time here. And also, I want to discuss the manufacturing opportunity that comes with outfitting new homes. I found this part fascinating. Tell me a little bit about what the opportunity is. Yeah, here. we were talking a little bit before we got started here. Yeah. You know, let's go back to these 6 million single individual homes we have in, in New York. We want to convert those to heat pumps. The plan calls for doing about a quarter of a million new heat pump conversions in the existing housing stock every year. That's a lot of heat pumps. It's yep. about 10 times more than historically we've been installing in the state. Other countries in the world are, are ramping up too. You look across Europe, particularly because of the Ukraine war, heat pumps are surging. So there's there's an incredible global demand for heat pumps. That that's supply chain issue is going to creep up here. What are they made right now mostly? For the air source heat pumps, the most effective companies are Japanese, and they're mostly coming from Asia. Some of them have started to operate in Europe, and they're starting to manufacture in some United States, too, but not yet in New York. We ought to be encouraging, you know, those companies, Mitsubishi, Fujitsu, those are the most efficient air source heat pumps. Well, let's get them to build some of them here in New York, right? New York jobs as well as, as, as the heat pumps we need. The uh, ground source heat pumps are, are mostly American-made. The one I have is water furnace, which I believe is made in Ohio. But again, let's, you know, let's get them to open up a plant here in New York, too. Given the demand that this law will push, it's a huge opportunity for the state to sort of rebuild our economy. You know, think of all these rust belt cities we've had in, in the 
Rochester Kodak is gone, right? Et cetera. Let, let's right. replace it with the manufacturing. We need to make this plan work. Nick, it sounds like he's ready to uh, install one. He wants to know how much space is required to install ground source. Well, ground source heat pumps, uh, you, you have a, a fairly large need to exchange the heat with the ground. And, and you yeah. two, two choices. You can have lateral loops which run out you know, horizontally, and it's, it's pretty space-intensive. The other possibility is to put in wells. And, and actually, you know, I own 100 acres of land. I went with wells, even though I have the land, because they're more efficient. Slightly more expensive, but they're more efficient over time. And with mm-hmm. wells, it, uh, you know, if, if you have, uh, 100, 200 square feet in your yard, you have enough space to put in wells to support these things. And in new homes, you can put them in under the foundation as you build it. How does New York's policy legislation, the acts that are put in place, how do they stack up nationally? What's California doing toward this end? Was there a model that you were working off of? Is there any European countries that, you know, I, set a template for what you were doing, the, trying to do here? There are a lot of, uh, states and, and countries that have tried to set targets. I actually think that the New York climate law uh, at the time it passed four years ago was the most progressive among all of the states. Uh, Washington state is doing some things, you know, as well or better than we are. California, perhaps as well. Denmark is, is always in a leadership position in this area, right? But the, the New York law certainly stood out as of uh, four years ago. And, and there's still some aspects of it that I think are truly outstanding. One is that we account for greenhouse gases unlike any other state, and we actually fully account for the latest science telling us the importance of methane accounting. No other state does that. They're using science that's, you know, 30, 40 years out of date. Methane's responsible for much, much more warming than we used to think. Most states ignore that. It's important to recognize that when you think about using natural gas. You know, again, as we were discussing earlier, New York banned fracking back in 2014. Our use of natural gas in this state has risen faster than that of any other state in the time we've banned fracking. We don't produce most of that gas. It's coming from Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia. The methane emissions from it there are huge. Yeah. And historically, we would have said, oh, well, that's, that's in Pennsylvania. That's their problem. But under this law, we go, no, if that methane is being emitted because of the natural gas that's being produced to serve us, we need to take responsibility for that. How else can you you know, do the, the cost-benefit analysis of seeing what the real costs are. That's a truly unique aspect. state of Maryland is now following us. I think other states will start to, but that's a, no other, California, other states have not yet come around to that viewpoint. The, the other thing that our law does is, is put equal weight across all economic sectors from the start. It lets us, the data drive what's going on. Mm-hmm. And New York, our buildings are our major emitters. You know, most other states predetermine that, oh, we're going to focus on our electricity. Okay, you know, got to focus on electricity or transportation. Okay, you got to do transportation. But New York is really out in front in dealing with what it means in terms of buildings. And in order to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions in this state in any substantial way, you cannot do so without buildings. Now, you know, we have a bigger challenge than California because it's colder here, you know. Cars and trucks are the issue in California, and they're important here in New York, but heating our buildings is our real issue here. So where do you see the future, legislatively or otherwise, or policy? Where do you see things going? Because we've just discussed what's going to be happening with new construction, retrofitting homes. What's the next frontier for the work that you do? In terms of what's going on with the New York plan and all, there's still a, uh, the state is still working the details of how to provide some of the incentives and how to pay for it. And one of the things we came up with out of the Climate Action Council is called a cap and invest program. So it caps fossil fuel emissions sector by sector on, under the law. They're already capped. But it sort of 
says what those will be year by year. And then it will essentially charge the energy wholesalers, the gas distributors, for example, a fee to push to make sure that cap is met. We recommended that. We did so knowing full well that there are a lot of complications in there. You need to be really careful that the economically unable are not going to be hit. And it, it, you want to do it so there's not some backlash against the law. A lot of details to work out, and we didn't work out what those details are. So, you know, what we said is the state should do it, and uh, the Department of Environmental Conservation is working on that this year. They've had a series of public hearings. They're supposed to promulgate draft regulations by the end of this year as to how to do it. You know, people should be paying attention to the detail there because I think this could be a really good thing, but it could also be done in a hurtful, dangerous way. So we need to pay attention to that. And possibly done in the Hochul administration if things go. The third administration working on it now. Yeah. And and the, uh, the Assembly and Senate took it up for debate as well. It's binding under our Climate Action Council plan because of the climate law, but the Assembly and Senate could push faster or slower than we've done, or they could countermand it and, you know, change the law, basically. They debated it some, and they, they too agreed that we should push ahead with this, but, you know, it's, they also punted some on the details. So, to me, that's one of the most interesting areas to watch, and sure. one of the most important things for people to be paying attention to. Bob Howarth, it's been a pleasure having you in the studio today. I, I learned so much every time I talk to you. Well, Thank been, you so much. It's been great being with you. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Check out the episode notes for links to the New York State Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, and also a companion keynote to today's podcast called Sustaining People and Planet, Bending the Warming Curve Through Methane Mitigation, featuring Bob and other Cornell climate experts. Thank you for listening to Keynotes. We'll see you next time.